Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Welcome to another episode of It's a Continent. How's it Welcome going? Welcome back. Welcome back. Season four, episode three. Good job you're counting because I've I've clearly lost track of where we are, which is why I never say what episode we're on because I have no <laughs> just, idea. We're <laughs> just, we've just turned up and have some <laughs> stories to share with you all. So um, no, I'm definitely with you. But no, it's good. September, my birth month. So I'm very much excited. Good times ahead. Shout out September. Shout out October's very own, aka me. See, we're literally like a duo. We've just come one after the next. It's like they already knew. So true. Apart from that, all good. Just getting myself ready. Lots of giving to myself. I've been doing a lot of that. It's got to be done. Every day. I feel like that's what I'm doing at the moment. A gift for every day in September. Yeah, you know what? I do need to get an advent calendar for a birthday month. I think that is that is very appropriate. I think it should be done. Definitely. But yeah, where are we? What are we up to? African Pride. Yes, African Pride this week. I'm still looking back at the summer of sport that we've had. Obviously, you know me, my sport. But um, my part-time hustle also includes rooting for African athletes because, you know, what else would I do in my in my free time? What else? <laughs> what else would I do? Um, <laughs> so it's only right to give this week's African Pride to Asiya Mohamed, who's the first female rower to represent Kenya in either the Olympics or the Paralympics. Now, when Asiya was just two years old, a tragic train accident led to her losing both of her legs and several fingers, and she had a hard time growing up accepting herself. But she found sport to be an outlet where, in her words, she could explore her full potential. So after pursuing wheelchair marathon as a teenager, no small feat, she switched to wheelchair tennis and took up rowing at the age of 29. And in October 2019, she qualified to compete at the upcoming Paralympics, well, these Paralympics are ongoing, after just three years since she started rowing. So it took her three years to get to, I am now representing my country. Imagine three years and me at my big 26, still, I'm not a swimmer. You had lockdown to learn how to swim, huh? Like, honestly, there are just no excuses. I know, I know. Pool, to be honest, pools weren't open during lockdown. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. They were not open. But at this point, I'm at the stage where a grown-ass woman with armbands is not looking cute. You cannot, I feel like that, the armbands are the combination of a bikini just does not scream cute or this person <laughs> when i swim i don't wear bikinis anymore i tell you that it's not you don't want to like that when you're just going to your council run pool this week we are in uganda a landlocked country located in southeastern africa surrounded by south sudan to the north kenya in the east tanzania and rwanda in the south and the drc to the west sorry i just I I wanted wanted to get excited for you. It's like, yeah. (laughs) Yay. Um, I'm also excited by the other countries as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We love you guys. Country of birth. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Lake Victoria, uh, Africa's largest freshwater lake, sits on the southern border. Yare Museveni is a name you may have heard of during Uganda's most recent elections, where he was up against his main political rival, Bobby Wine, a Ugandan musician and politician. This presidential election was entangled by fraud, threats, sanctioned killings, 
seemingly because another old man wants to stay in power. How did Ugandan politics get to this point? This episode is a little different and I'm very excited. So this is our very first two-parter. This week, we'll look at how Yari rose to power. And the second part will cover how this dictator came to be elected for the sixth time during the recent Ugandan elections. So I don't even know if lucky number six is a thing, but wow, six times. I don't... <laughs> oh, yeah. they, this is a whole story to unpack. Sorry, that's why we had to split it up over two episodes. So we will get there. Yawi Museveni was born on September the 15th, 1944. His parents were cattle farmers and he started his education in missionary schools. Museveni studied political science and economics at the university in the capital of Tanzania, Dar es Salaam, graduating in 1970. During his younger years, Museveni was involved in left-leaning student organisations and became chairman of a student group favouring African liberation movements. In fact, when Idi Amin came to power in Uganda in 1971, Museveni returned to Tanzania in exile. He backed overthrowing Amin in 1979 as he founded the Front for National Salvation. Museveni held transitional government posts and in 1980 he ran for president. He didn't win the first time round and, ironically, he never lost an election after that again. And even as far back as 1980, the election was believed to be rigged. But Milton Obote, who led Uganda to independence in 1962, won the process. Obote stayed in power for five years. Museveni helped form the National Resistance Movement, the NRM, leading the armed wing. An armed conflict began in 1981, and Museveni took power in 1986, when the NRM guerrilla reached Kampala, the capital of Uganda after five years of war. The coup was successful, and on January 26, 1986, Museveni declared himself president of Uganda. Yeah, nothing screams democracy like declaring yourself president rather than the people. We love a coup. Museveni's calls to end bad governance and the disciplined behaviour displayed by his rebels during the conflict contrasted with Milton Obote's corrupt regime and confrontational soldiers. Museveni started with a view to restore the power of the people. His strong anti-party stance led to a legal ban on the activity of political organisations. So yeah, this is very much the first step on how to be a despot. Uh-huh. This ban was the first legal act passed under Museveni's government in 1986. The administration used ethnically based political parties as a scapegoat for Uganda's rather tumultuous post-independent history. Museveni claimed that Western democracy couldn't be translated into an African setting because the country had ethnic, language and religious fragments with underdevelopment and the lack of a European-style class structure. We get this a lot, haven't we, when we Mm. see kind of leaders like him, when they come into power and they're like, yeah, we can't be fitting these kind of Western and European kind of cultural elements into Africa. Africans are different, we're different, we have our own identity. Which, you know, he's saying all of the right things, but Mm. I just... How did it get? Yeah. How did he go from this to where, you know, just six times? He studied politics at university, so he knows what he's talking about. He was involved in African liberation movements. And there is this pattern as well we see where you've got, for example, Robert Mugabe was seen as a freedom fighter. And then look where he kind of, his legacy ended up in in some respects. And that there is this 
unfortunate trope i don't really want to call it a trope but it's more of a pattern isn't it you see these kind of freedom fighters all for african liberation all for pan-africanism and then it just doesn't really happen i feel like as soon as they taste power and they can see how much influence and money they can make out of it it's like well i'm never letting this go the Ugandan people who had faced cruelty and human rights violations from previous dictators were understandably excited. This was probably because of the angle Museveni took in his speeches. He made it sound like he was a political outsider when this wasn't the case. They really love doing that whole like, I'm the same as you, I understand what you're going through. I really do. And that's the thing because um, it's populism and that's, it preys on weakness, doesn't it? Yeah. He'd been a youth member of Obote's Uganda People Congress, the UPC, and his Front for National Salvation played a role in overthrowing Idi Amin. He verbally, and probably rightfully, attacked the outgoing government. As Museveni gave his first presidential speech, his troops from the NRM hauled lifeless bodies from the roads into a dump truck. During his speech, Museveni referred to democracy as the right of the people of Africa and that the government mustn't be the masters, but the servers of the population. He was a nationalist who strongly opposed tribalism and wanted a government based on unity. Remember, Museveni wanted to maintain the air of a liberator, as this was the image he gave many Ugandans. Museveni also called out other African countries, describing them, a bit problematically, as very backward, and that with all of their resources and potential, they still lagged far behind the Western world in healthcare, life expectancy and industry kind of missing why they're lagging far behind the west but anyway which is also the very reason why his country was also do you know i'm like <laughs> mate, can you not this is a theme across majority yeah. of african countries including your own whenever someone has these problematic like it's like yeah backward you're just like oh are we not going to attribute the cause for yeah didn't you just gain independence a couple of years weren't you fighting for that yeah, do you not remember the 60s and the 50s? No? No? Yeah, okay. no? Okay, okay, fine. And as Museveni was being sworn in as president, he said, this is not a mere change of guards. I think this is a fundamental change in the politics of government. Museveni would be later re-elected in 1996, 2001, 2006, 2011, 2016 and 2020 and that is an example of foreshadowing so shout out gcsc english so this guy said fundamental change it's not a mere change of guards and he ended up just there all of those days i'm thinking what was i doing in each of those years this guy this guy was in the same job all that time wow these are really like life stages you know <laughs> it's so wild like committed like committed actually committed Actually, 2006. I started secondary school 05, so yeah. Okay, so yeah, I must have started. The year after, yeah. And then 11. Started sixth form, maybe. Started sixth form, yeah. yeah. And then 2016, a year before finished graduating. 2020, who remembers that? Because, hey, it was yeah, a whole Yeah, what was that? <laughs> I don't know what that <laughs> was. Yeah, <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do not recall. Do not recall. Miss Evany also set up what was known as resistance councils which restored the power to, of the people. So there's that term again, I'm one of you guys. Mm -hmm. Through local level direct political participation and mirroring those who closely followed the Despot Handbook, Museveni started off on a positive note, objectively speaking. He took the country from a position of chaos to relative stability. Citizens no longer feared soldiers, 
and this was a lingering trigger from previous regimes. He revitalised Uganda through political stability, a growing economy and an improved infrastructure. His real politic approach meant that he considered practical principles rather than moral or ideological considerations, which sometimes it works, but other times, if you're a snowflake like me, it rubs me out the wrong way. He charmed journalists and foreign diplomats, appealing to ordinary people through his use of metaphors and analogies. Yeah, it just think about it, like talk about how to win friends and influence people. Yeah, like, this guy, yeah. What's that? Something law to power? What's that? <laughs> This guy studied. It is basically, in a sense, it does play on people's weaknesses. And it reminds me of that conversation we had with um, Farida Nabarema, when she was talking about when people live under oppressive regimes, how often in the West people view those people as being less intelligent. Remember when we were talking about that? And actually, like, it is the work of these leaders that can be quite charismatic and Mm -hmm. tell people that he's one i mean look at the uk it basically happened right no one's calling the uk well actually quite a few people are calling them stupid but anyway um Uh, shout out james (laughs) o'brien wow (laughs) it's it's important not to realize that some people have kind of been like led emotionally and this is kind of how it's it's not the only reason why but it's one of the reasons it's an element yeah it's very much about how you frame yourself but also your ideologies and how you want to take the country if it's playing on what you know people want really that's what they're buying into obviously that's with the intention that you're going to deliver in that but for him you know yeah well yeah and it also kind of gives the semblance that he is doing that like you said around it was bringing in an element of stability as well so if you're seeing elements of that being reflected Mm. you might then forego looking at other areas which aren't so aren't great, great as well yeah exactly yeah. exactly you're like well my personal circumstances are improving yeah so w- before i was scared of soldiers and now it's relatively safe to walk to the shops and come sure. back mm. foreign governments absolutely loved Museveni. they called him a reformist which probably isn't a good thing in hindsight or yeah maybe it was for the west Objectively speaking, though, Museveni's government reduced HIV rates of infection in the country during the 90s and became one of the first countries within the continent to have success with controlling the virus. Things continued going relatively well. The Ugandan economy grew, as did the literacy rate. Between 1992 and 2000, the proportion of Ugandans living in poverty fell from 56% to 35%, and over 4 million people were lifted from poverty although obviously regional imbalances um, still remained. The government also supported a free press, which is so rare. Mm. Press, like so rare at this time, because a lot of them were like, no, we're shutting down the press. You can only be, you know, communicating what I'm saying and how I'm positioning it. So um, I think definitely something unexpected um, for that time. And he also got the special seal of approval from none other than the United States. With the United States, you want them to give you their seal of approval because it means that they're less likely to invade you. Or maybe they'd invade you if you change your leader from their fave. So that seal of approval is probably a good thing for him. You also had Bill Clinton visiting the country in 1998, and he declared Museveni as a new breed of leaders on the continent. So, yeah, these endorsements out here... Thick and fast. ...coming from the US, that is... I do not understand where that comes from. Like, maybe this is definitely one for another episode, but just this need. I don't know if 
the US have established themselves in that sense that we all, not we all, but having that seal of approval from them is just such a big thing. And then they visit the country, you're like, wow. I mean, look at the UK and uh, the obsession with this special relationship. What is special relationship. Go in the bin after 2003-04, please. Things started getting sticky in Parliament. By the late 1990s, some prominent MPs encouraged the Assembly to look more closely and scrutinise government legislation to monitor activity and limit powers of ministers, who are said to be corrupt. This works to a degree, however, as Museveni would openly change the constitution, suspend parliamentary rules and intimidate MPs when policies weren't going his way. By 2001, and bear in mind this man has been in power since the 80s, a seventh parliament was elected and these representatives had more who believed in a multi-party ideology. Museveni made it clear that he didn't want to let go of his presidency and this intensified by the time we came to the early noughties. And see, the way for a despot to stay in power is to simply amend the constitution. Just rub it out. Just rub it out. Just get right. some tipex. Mm-hmm. It's I just what you do. They're probably looking at other countries like, why can't they just do, there's this thing called tipex or rubber or, you know. What's that thing that used to take out a fountain pen? Used to, that oh my gosh, what was that? <laughs> No You're bringing what it was all called. the classics. It was in Wilkinson. That's why I know it's Wilco now, isn't it? Gosh, but it was... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's now with the kids. It's Wilco. Museveni went from this original fundamental change platform in 1986 to a no term limits campaign in 2001. This campaign meant the existing two term limit on presidency, like in the US today, would be abolished. This was known as the Cassandra campaign. Some long-standing members of his own NRM movement were appalled and ended up leaving the organisation and forming their own body. As former associates broke away, security forces turned their guns on these new political opponents. In fact, Museveni's former doctor, Kiza Basije, from the Opposition Forum for Democratic Change, ran against Museveni during the 2001 elections. The CJ ended up being detained and imprisoned for multiple false charges such as rape and treason without conviction. This pattern that we see about multiple false charges, detained, imprisoning opponents, we, we mm. see it replicated particularly in the more recent Ugandan elections, which we'll cover in our next episode. Well, as you know, despots get what they want every time. And by 2005, the presidential term limits were lifted. This pattern, sadly, has been mirrored in many other African countries. So between 1999 to 2005, leaders of Namibia, Burkina Faso, Guinea, Togo, Gabon, Chad amended their constitutions so they could stay in power for longer. Just this whole Tipex situation is really... Honestly. It just throws absolutely everything out of the window. Like, there is no... No wonder people just feel, must feel so off balance and just like... We don't know where this country is heading. Do you know what I mean? Because Mm. there's not even the constitution which can hold them accountable. You're really above the law. And that's the thing. They're really keen to make the point where it's like a cult of personality. Your population might like you because you're doing some good things. But then you then make yourself above the law so that nobody can hold you accountable. You know, you might then stop a free press. You might... And if you're doing this, you're kind of... The country isn't developing under your leadership. And then the US is like, well, that's fantastic because that's what we want. We don't want you to 
He's like, what? This yeah, can't we be developed. To develop, yeah. It's like, oh, and you're going to be there for another 10 years? Oh, that's fantastic. I'll come and visit you guys in 2025. <laughs> yeah. So then you have this dynamic where if you then introduce a leader that is revolutionary and is doing good things for your country, then the West are like, yeah, I think it's time to, America's like, it's time to go. Or, you know, if they discover something. Yeah, I think we need a coup here. Coup alert required in this. <laughs> 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 It's like being in a shop and there being an issue in an aisle. Do you know what I mean? But like... It's another spillage in aisle three. Yeah, yeah. A coup is required in the south. In the south of the continent, a coup is required. Museveni's reputation was tarnished following the presidential term limits being lifted in 2005. This change brought about a shift in the way he governed as the free press and dissidents faced repression, with journalists frequently arrested. Despite this... And probably to no one's surprise, Museveni remains an important ally of the US in Eastern Africa, as the Ugandan army contributed forces to African Union-backed military operations against Al-Shabaab in Somalia. As a result, Uganda receives US military training and between 2014 to 15, received half a billion dollars of economic and military aid. I thought so. Yeah. Mm. Sounds about right. Yeah. Because if you're getting this money, you're like, they want me to keep... Obviously, Museveni has his own. He wants to stay in power, get that president for life badge well and truly secured. But if US is just propping you up with these billions of dollars, you're never leaving. You're never. No, no. Do you think I'm going to leave? No. It's just evident that the US's fingers are stuck in many pies. Because even if we look at the news and that's a whole, that's a different podcast, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. But the situation going on in Afghanistan just kind of goes to show that the products of like, American imperialism, they've just got their fingers in many pies, including Africa. It's not just Britain and Europe, but the US too. And it's just that thing, and I think, like, just the importance of seeing below what everything we're kind of shown on television or whatever, but kind of digging deeper into that because there yeah. are just certain activities and things being done in the background someone in the press might write about it but you know it's page 100 and whatever yeah um, and doesn't get that prominence but really this situation here where people's money is like the government's money is being spent to essentially support a leader who has been around for decades Uh. is it doesn't shock me anymore because of how long we've been doing this podcast now but um, I think it's definitely one for to bring greater awareness to. Yeah. What continues to happen today is Museveni holding on to power. And our next episode will look at the last Ugandan elections, which took place in 2021. I think it's just an example, especially with it being so recent, about how this happened and basically how he imprisoned his opponents, etc., etc. But yeah, just bring in um, awareness to what's going on in Uganda right now and also the Red Pearl movement, which we'll discuss in our next episode. Yeah, that is us for the first part covering Uganda and Museveni's rise to power. So we will see you on the next episode for part two. We will be at our very first podcast festival being hosted by BBE Podcast Agency to discuss all things podcast, it's a continent, all that exciting stuff. Join us in October. October the 10th, where we will be in London in the afternoon. Feel free to join us. We put the details on our social media as well. 
Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at It's a Continent and also on Instagram at It's a Continent Pod. And why not check out our website too? It's a continent.com. Catch you guys next time. Bye. See you later. Bye.